Cubby Talks. Cubby Talks. Cubby Talks. Cubby Talks. Cubby Talks. Cubby Talks. Hi, everybody. This is Estela, and keep listening to Cubby Talks because he rocks. Hey, guys, it's Cubby here of Cubby Talks. I know that the, the sound sounds a bit off today because it's a uh, more like an international call, Ghana or London. I don't know where the mother is right now. Maybe he's in Greece or Saudi Arabia. No, you know him. Um, yeah, we're going to talk today about the economy, about what's going on in Ghana with, um, I call him a financial enthusiast. He's been on the show before, Robert Abadamelda, Kumbla on Instagram. He's on the other side of the call right now. Bro, what's going on? Cool, bro. Cool, bro. All good. It's good to be back. I mean, it's been, what, two years since we, 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 did, we last did this? Charlie, time flies. I know, right? But it's good to be back. What have you been up to? Have you uh, been traveling? I definitely have not traveled as you suggested I do. This guy, <laughs> this guy, this guy. <laughs> but it's all good, though. You still have time. I still have time. What have you been up to? Oh, nothing much. Same old, same old. Just uh, hustling and grinding as normal, staying in my little corner, just minding my business. But, but it's, like, it's very good to be back. I mean, I, obviously, you said we were going to talk about uh, what's happening to the economy in our country. So I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to, 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 to look at that now, given everything that's happening. So I'm looking forward to it. Exactly. And we've been trying to get this thing done for a yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. But you've got some formalities to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure these things are usually sensitive. So there are a few things I need to make clear before we jump into it, which is that one, I'm obviously speaking in my personal capacity um none of the views and opinions i probably express on this i will express on this call uh, uh, that of my employer or any other previous employer a, a representative of anybody's opinion it's purely mine and just mine only and i will not be making uh, reference to any sensitive information or anything that's strategically important to my employees or clients i have everything i would say is obviously public so you can Google everything I've said. It's everywhere. They are available for anyone to read. And also, um, everything I say here is not necessarily an, it's not an investment advice. So I am not uh, a qualified economist or financial advisor in that regard. Everybody should have their own financial advisor. So if you want to make an investment decision, I'm not a person to also have investment advisors I go to to take advice from. So if you want to make an investment, nothing, nothing I say should be a guide. You should talk to your independent advisor for them to clarify what is best for you and how to best manage your investment and portfolio. I mean, I just need to make these things clear so we are on the same page. I'm speaking in my personal capacity. So with that out of the way, I'm happy to, 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 to jump into this conversation. I'm sure whoever is listening, especially here and any other part of the world, they're like, hey, what is going on? <laughs> All these disclaimers, <laughs> but yes, it's very necessary these days. Somebody just somebody just hear something I say about something and be like, oh, and then it becomes a, a big issue. So it's good to make it clear that I mean I'm not speaking as um, as, as someone who's qualified to give investment advice. So they take that with a pinch of salt. I could be wrong. I could be right. I mean these are these are my opinions. So it's personal, you know. And I'm super grateful that we grow up with people who gain so much knowledge, wisdom, understanding, experience. And they can offer us such services. Kobe Talks Podcast, we are coming up. We are grateful for all these great minds we have. So, guys, we are going right into it. I know if you are in Ghana, 
we know what is happening to our city. Do you know the year the city was around six cities to the dollar? Now yeah. it's what 14, 15 cities? That is what we want to talk about. Things like wow, expensive. What is going on, Robert? Why has that from six cities to fifty cities? Why? What is going on? Why are we so, so before I start, I want to I, I saw something on Instagram uh, yesterday which said Pure Tashi Water is now like sixty uh, percent. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's insane. Insane, bro. <laughs> like like a bottle um, um this big gallon of oil. Because uh-huh. it was 400, now it's 1,200. Like, what? Everything is off. Market women are going crazy. In fact, market women too far. We are going crazy. <laughs> you know, normally you do the, the, you mean you the DVs. You mean you the DVs are going crazy. Oh, man, my brother. <laughs> you want me to say issue disclaimers? <laughs> <laughs> but, but Robert, like, seriously, normally yeah. you do December Christmas shopping in December. Everybody's doing their December shopping now. Yeah, Bro, so that's actually a good point. That's actually a good point. So we'll come back to that December shopping and uh, Christmas shopping you mentioned because it's a very it's part of the why why everything is uh, happening at the pace at which is happening. So we'll come back to that. But I think it's a good question. I mean, let's focus first on why currencies generally uh, depreciate. I mean, it it comes back to your simple demand and supply. But before we, we dive into Ghana's situation, it's good to look at it in a global context. This is not just happening in Ghana. It's happening, it's happening everywhere. That's I, think, that's, I think, the context a lot of people tend to miss. For instance, the dollar is on a tier. It's been one of the best before. It's, one of the, it's been at the strongest level it's been probably since the beginning of the century, right? And it, the Japanese yen, it's, it's up 20% against the Japanese yen. It's up 20, 16% against the British pound, 10% against the Australian dollar. 7% against Canadian dollar and about 5% against the Singapore dollar. With Bitcoin as well, it's almost up more than 50% against Bitcoins. So it's a global phenomenon. And so it comes back to what I said initially, which is it's demand and supply. The more you demand for something, the higher its price is. Uh, when there's more supply than demand as well, the price falls. I mean, this is just Econs 101. So if you think about it that way, it makes it actually very simple. So the question to ask is, it means people are, if the dollar is strong, it means people are demanding for the dollar. Why are people demanding for the dollar? I think one thing is um, the higher interest rate environment we are in. And this is something that has been in the news. It's everywhere. It's on Twitter. Everyone's talking about it. First, you come with inflation. Uh, there's, there's a lot of inflation going on around the world. Every country is feeling it. In the U.S., it's also it's about 8%. In the U.K., it's about 101 uh, Ghana is around 40% right now. So everybody's feeling it. And there are a number of factors that are driving it. Uh, there's one thing, uh, it's called physical stimulus. I mean, this, this, again, these are also, these are all economic theories that are open to interpretation, that different opinions about it. But this is how I understand how it's working. So people, if the, when, when COVID happened, a lot of the economies around the world shut down, which means that people couldn't go to work. So the government had to support them. In the US, they had this massive physical stimulus where the government pumped money into the economy. Uh, I think they did about six trillion of that. In the UK, there was a furlough where people were staying home, and our current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, was the chancellor at the time, finance minister. They were paying people uh, about eight percent of their salary uh, while they were just staying home and were late, were temporarily laid off. In Ghana, there was some fiscal stimulus where government was paying electricity bill and water bill at some point. So all these things pumped extra cash into the system without necessarily be, there being too much good. So with extra cash chasing a few goods. There were some inflationary pressures. And there's another thing that everyone keeps talking about, which is the war in uh, the war that's happening in Europe. So Russia, Ukraine, the conflict. 
it's driven energy prices up. Why has it driven energy prices up? Energy in terms of like gas and oil. Russia is a big energy um, exporter. So all the sanctions and um, Russia's own restrictions of oil supply has pushed the price up of, of oil. And petrol prices affect every other goods and services. The pure water, the people who produce pure water sachets, they have to transport it from point A to point B. If the price of petrol has gone up, and because one, Ghana produces some oil, but we're not a big producer. In Africa, it's mainly Nigeria and Angola. So we import some oil too. So um, if, we, if the price of oil is going up internationally, it means our local petrol price will go up. If the petrol prices are going up, it means uh, the people who have to also transport goods and services across the country will have to increase the price to account for that increase in petrol prices. So all these things have just come up to cause some inflation, which is the prices in generally are increasing. And when that happens, the central bank of any economy, most of their mandate is to check prices, i.e. check inflation. They're going to raise interest rates to try and dampen demand so that prices are controlled. So well, that's exactly what's happening in the U.S. The U.S. central bank, it's called the Federal Reserve, has is in, increasing in, its interest rate. And the idea is if, if uh, interest rates are low, at the beginning of the year, it was 0% because in COVID, they cut it to zero to spare the economy. Interest rate at zero percent means it's cheaper for people to go for loans, to buy a house, buy a car. You know, just buy like people. To, it's easier for money to flow in the system because they want to keep the economy growing as COVID hits. And when they raise interest rates, because it becomes more expensive for you to borrow, you are going to you are likely to borrow less to spend. So if there is less money being borrowed and less spending, their aim is to control that inflation that was being created by all the factors I mentioned earlier, i.e., the war and uh, the excessive fiscal stimulus. So because they are raising interest rates, they, ha- they are raising it mainly to control inflation. So the U.S. is a good example where at the beginning of the year, interest rates were around 0%. And over the course of the last 9, 10 months, they've increased it to about 3%, to 3.25%. So just so now just think about it that way. If, if, um, and the way, the way to look at it is if um, you are somebody who holds dollars, and you want to invest in America. At the beginning of the year, if you invested in America, you are investing and getting only 0%. I mean, this is, this is not exactly the case, but I'm just using the Federal Reserve as a benchmark. If you are, yeah. you are earning 0%. So what you're most likely to take your money to countries like Ghana, uh, Nigeria, or Russia, Turkey, or any other country that probably offered you a little higher interest rate. So in Ghana, interest rates were probably hovering around the high teens. So people, people are willing to come and invest their money in Ghana to get the interest rate because there was nothing they could get in the U.S. But because the Federal Reserve is increasing their interest rates, all these people are now rushing to take their money out of these countries, which are considered risky, to take them in back to their country to end those 3%, which, which, which essentially risk-free for them. The problem is if you invest in countries like Ghana and Nigeria, it becomes, uh, there's a bit of risk that these countries might not pay you back. So in the U.S., the, 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 the interest rate, the, the bonds they issue there and the investments you can make are essentially considered risk-free. So a lot of people are taking their money out of here back to the U.S. to take advantage of the higher interest rates over there. So that, is, that explains the, I know it's a bit lengthy, but it explains the demand mm-hmm. for the, the increase in demand for U.S. dollars. That's, that's one way to look at it. So once there's increase in demand for U.S. dollars, it means the price of dollar is going up. And so... If people are selling CDs, uh, their CD investment in order to go and buy uh, US dollars, they are, yeah. they are putting pre- downward pressure on the CD and they are giving some upward pressure to the dollar. 
I had to go into the whole inflation background and how the inflation came in the first place to explain how we got to this point. Yeah. So it's another, that's one reason. So higher interest rates in the US and the UK and the Europe is one reason why people are re- taking their money out of smaller economies like ours back into the advanced economies because they, they're there, they are confident they'll get their money back. Nobody's going to but, uh, default on their loans. But you know, Robert, the, 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 for the, over the last month, there's been phenomenal, this upward trend, this wave, and we're not be using the right income term, where lots of Ghanaians are taking their savings in CDs just to buy dollars. Everybody wants to own dollars. Obviously, yeah. because over time, when you change it back to CDs, it's higher. Yeah, but, and, and that's true. But that's true. And uh, it, it, so, again, this is just giving the context of how we got to this point. And I think what is happening now is it's become baked in sort of people have become people are people are expecting it's become an expectation of a federal depreciation has been baked into uh, our conscious. So people are now rushing and which is also making the problem worse. So because people are now rushing to buy dollars, they are making the situation even worse and more rapid. Uh, it doesn't make sense. So it, that's it's just how it, that's what central banks tend to fear. It's, it's um, you want to manage people's expectations. You want to give people confidence in the city or any local currency that, hey, it's fine, we're going to get more inflow from uh, other, other loans we are taking or, or other mm-hmm. stuff. It's fine, but if people start to expect that things will get worse, they overreact, and by overreacting, they end up creating, making the problem even worse. It's just like, it. think about it. Yeah, what, are we, what are we supposed to do? That, like, our money set in cities is just depreciated. You can afford what you could afford last week, this week, but if you keep it in dollars... It's going to eat Like, what the hell are we supposed to do? I mean, I will let, I will let the, the experts, um, investment advisors advise on how to manage your FX exposures. But the reality is, there's very little you as an individual can do in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mostly up to the central bank and our government. And I think the government has already approached uh, the International Monetary Fund to try and seek uh, some loans. So, uh, so, again, so the whole point is, again, so the demand side is what I was explaining Another reason people are also demanding for dollars is generally it's called something, something we call a flight to safety. Uh, when there's a war happening, there was COVID, there's so many things going, uh, chaos around the world that people are taking their money into stronger economies. So they are shifting all their investment into the US, into Europe, into the UK. And by doing that, they are, they are buying those foreign currencies and selling all these emerging market currencies, right? So that's also creating some pressure. But then there's also another side of it, the supply side, which, is, which, which will come to the point, the question you asked. In the past, maybe, I think at the start of the year, Ghana had about um, 9.7 billion in reserves, right? Like, this, this is something that's on Bloomberg, that's an article I read in Bloomberg. With Do- dollars or cities? Uh, dollars, so dollars. Are, it's called our central bank tends to have a reserve position. So this, this, this is something that the Bank of Ghana tends to release, Ministry of Finance tends to release this information every time. But as of September, that number has come to 6.6 billion, right? So wow. This one. Because, because that's because we, we, are, we are spending the dollars we have to, because people, are, people in Ghana are buying things abroad, importing stuff, and petrol, petrol companies are buying oil abroad. People are buying, suppliers are buying uh, goods from abroad and China and all those things. So we need to give them dollars so that they can go and buy those things. Because China is not accepting cities. China is accepting dollars, right? Or these people places where important stuff, they are accepting dollars. So we need to find the dollars to give them. Now, the problem is the supply of dollars coming into the country has reduced, again, for various reasons. People are taking their money to the advanced economies for, because they feel more secure there. And so they are bringing less of it into our country. And so because they are doing that, our supply of dollars is reducing. 
while at the same time, these investors are selling the cities. So I was reading this uh, article by uh, Bright Simmons. He's a policy analyst at Imani Ghana. He's also a very good guy to follow to understand these things. Uh, he mentioned that uh, international investors have sold about 10 billion cities worth of investment to, this year to try and leave the country. So if they are selling wow. 10 billion cities, it means they are, going to, they are taking 10 billion cities to Bank of Ghana and saying, here's my cities, give me dollars, I want to leave. So that, that is increasing the supply of cities and increasing the demand for dollars on its own. And there's, there are various reasons why the dollar, we're not getting enough dollars in, our, in, in the system. And that's why we've gone to the IMF, right? We're asking for 3 billion, because the 3 billion is dollar that will come into the country and will ease the pressures. It will help meet the demand for dollars in the country and reduce the pressures. I think the government also mentioned Another thing Imani, um, Bright Simmons mentioned was we are expecting some purple board money uh, later this year, about 1.1 billion. All those things are money that if they come into the country and able to secure them, it will reduce the pressure. So in terms of what you can do, it's very little in, I think individuals can do. It's mainly up to the central bank, Bank of Ghana, and uh, the government of Ghana. So, so, it, so long as we're able to get the IMF deal as soon as possible and, and, have a, and be able to manage people's expectations on dollar, and cities, I think things should ease up a bit. But that's just my personal opinion. I mean, I don't know this for a fact. It's up to, like I said, it's a central bank thing. They, they are the ones who will be the experts to know this. It'll be Robert, good to hear what they come up with. Robert, is there any hope for us staying in Ghana? Well, surely. I mean, like I said, it is, it is, it is, uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon. I don't think you're going to leave Ghana and, and find it. Robert, Ghana for bro. <laughs> it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's happening everywhere, trust me. In the UK, they call it the cost of living crisis. Probably one of the worst they've seen in a generation. In the US, inflation is at a 40 or is like a, was it a multi-decade high. Let me just say that. Uh, across Europe as well, it's happening. It's everywhere. It's, it's literally everywhere. Countries everywhere in the world are facing it. Some more pronounced than the others. I guess in Ghana, uh, Michael, the, one of the reasons people are worried is that they saw the Bloomberg article that came out two weeks ago that we are the worst performing uh, mm-hmm. currency versus the dollar. Mm-hmm. It, it just it's just unfortunate again it has to do with our unique position where we probably were overexposed to um uh, the foreign investors but but that's something that is out of any individual's hand it's, Robert, it's Robert, so say say this episode was being played at Makola market was being played at university of ghana was being played to workers everybody is looking for an answer when would all of this end? Tell it to us in the plainest terms. Tell it to Antiquia, Sitting, and Makola, Nima, um, Hijitia, Angloga, Hohoi, Seshuriosu, Tamale, Bogosu. All over Ghana. All over Ghana. When would this no. end? In three, better end. So, so, again, I don't, I don't think anyone will know the answer to that. I don't, I don't think um, anyone knows when this global inflation problem will slow down. There's all the central banks around the world are struggling to try and control it by, as I said in the beginning, increasing interest rates. Uh, there was a point where the central banks in the U.S. were saying it was transitory, i.e. Within, by the end of the year, things should be better. It is not. So we don't know. I mean, nobody saw COVID coming. I don't know anyone can tell me they saw COVID coming. No one can say they really expected the war in um, Ukraine to get to be protracted and drag on for this long. So, unfortunately, Ghana is not in isolation. We are part of the international community. Things that happen outside the country will affect us. Um, again, so it's interesting that this is coming up. Like I said on the last time we spoke was one, 
I think it's important that uh, our generation, we tend to be more active and, and proactive in participating in, in our economy and our politics, i.e. We should, we should be focused, we should, be, we should pay attention to this. Yeah, I'm saying that it's a global problem. It's not, it's not an isolation. We can't necessarily say, um, we are part of the international community. I probably mentioned already. I... No, no, but, but, but Robert, how come Ghana has been at such a fast rate? I don't know much about the global economy, uh, fiscal, monetary, blah, blah, blah. But I know that our currency was stronger against the dollar as compared to the Naira. Now we are the worst in the world. Yeah, so, so as the special case. I will, I will recommend this article by Simmons. I mean, I mentioned by Simmons a few times here, but I think he's one of the probably smartest uh, policy analysts we have in Ghana when it comes to these things. And he's been tracking our economy and uh, our progress with the IMF. So he wrote an article, uh, it's titled, the IMF must not fail, must not set Ghana, that Ghana must not set the IMF up to fail or something. It's, a quite, it's quite a lengthy article, but it does a good job of explaining how Ghana's situation is particularly uh, um, uh, Can dire. you summarize it for us? Yeah, I mean, in summary, he spoke about how um, um, we, we were overly exposed to the foreign investors and so uh, the rush to get out, like, uh, I mean, there are these macroeconomic indicators you can look at, right? What the Bank of Ghana releases versus what the Central Bank of Nigeria releases. For instance, in Nigeria, I think debt to GDP is about 40%. In Ghana, it's um, in the high 70s or 80s, depending on who you're asking. So countries that tend to be overly um, exposed to foreign markets will suffer when there's uh, capital flight, right? So um, it's, it's your typical emerging market balance of uh, payments crisis or currency crisis, where you're overly exposed to uh, foreign investors when, some, when it's a shock and all these people are leaving to suffer the most. So there are countries that have very little exposure to foreign investors. We are not one of those countries. And that's, that, is not, that is not something that's political. That's something that's just factual compared to some of our peers. So, and also, it's, it's, so it's basically that. If you're, if you're, um, I think the article is quite lengthy and it's a good one. But in summary, I think that's the point he was trying to make. Uh, he, he made some good points about how, uh, for instance, our FDI inflows uh, increased from about 20 million in 1991 to about 150 million in 2000, and it's about 2.6 billion today. So you can see that significant growth. And he, he gave an, another statistic that was like FDI stock is around 75% or 80% of GDP compared to our continent's average of 25%. So you can see how we are overly exposed to uh, foreign investment. If the likes of Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, and Kenya are 22, 25, and 18% exposed to foreign direct investment as a percentage of GDP, and we are around 75 to 80%, right? So um, I don't know who is to blame. It's, it's just what it is. I think the most important thing is to uh, look forward to uh, what the government and I think the the former president um, gave a, a speech yeah, was it yesterday or two days ago. He gave yeah. his view of how things can be improved. I think some of the points there were uh, great great points. The, the current president is giving his view um, uh, tomorrow, I think, and that's also something to look forward to. I mean, it's good to hear. That's, this, this is why democracy is beautiful. Uh, when we have a problem like we are having now, we get to hear from. Uh, both sides have their various approaches they think we need to take to solve a problem. But, and but, but, we, Robert, we all decide what the best it, way is. Isn't it all talk? Because there's been so much talk over the years before the elections, before the elections, before the elections, 
so much talk. And we are here again, and there's still so much talk to the, to the point that people no longer want to hear the talk. As a Ghanaian, I feel you and I respect that. But I think there's a sense of, there's a general sense of, this is okay, things have gotten really serious now. I mean, I think, was it last week I saw in the, on Joy News that the 50, 80 M, majority MPs had come out to say uh, that situation is untenable and they need to make some changes? That, that, those things uh, do not happen often in our kind of, in our democracy, in our very young democracy. So if it has happened, we're 80, that is more than half of uh, the parliamentary majority party is saying this. It tells you that everyone is going through it. This is not an issue for one side of the country or the other side of the country. Every Ghanaian is literally going through uh, the same thing. And even those, even those Ghanaians that are in the diaspora, they're also having to feel it, right? Because most of them tend to support their families and they probably have to do that more so now than they, they used to in the past. So everyone is going through it. There's a general, I, I believe there's a general sense that the situation is dire and something needs to be done. Uh, it's up to us to hold our political leadership accountable to that. And I think an interesting statistic I like to throw out there to young Africans and young Ghanaians is when, when we look at our, like the 2020 census that uh, we did um, shows that the median age in Ghana is 21.5 years. Mm. That's one statistic to keep in your mind. Mm-hmm. In Africa, the median age is 19 years. In Africa, mm-hmm. there are 1.4 billion people. Half of those people were born after the September uh, 9-11 attacks in the U.S. Wow. In a sense, we are a bunch of teenagers, under 21s, very young people, the youngest continent, probably going to be one of the biggest continents population-wise uh, by mid-century or by the end of the century. If, if we're just going to be apathetic to the things that the decisions, the, the big decisions that are made about our countries, and then we act surprised at the very last minute when things get bad, it's always going to be like this. I think I said on the last time we spoke that uh, we're just giving up our country to people who are making decisions for a future they're not going to be in. So mm-hmm. when people decide to, um, when when we decide to take certain macroeconomic decisions, and uh, the people who are it's going to affect in the future decide not to participate in it, eventually when the consequences come, uh, we tend to feel it more. So it's it, I think it's very important that it, I, I, it's good that the this rapid depreciation of the currency is getting a lot of attention. I think the energy should be channeled uh, to a place where I don't know, you know, we can uh, we can start to be more active in our uh, democracy and also try to find uh, try to suggest ways of how to solve the problem. But for now, I, I think we just need to hold our leadership accountable and uh, try to get them to do something. It's all talk in the past, but I think there's a general sense that things are things are really dying now. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of speeches. We'll do this. We'll do that. Then. Some people say arrogance after the fact, where things are not going well, questions, say whatever they want to say. Um, that cannot happen in countries like the UK, where you are in. I mean, UK, like England, making up the UK, Wales, whatever. Because when you do speak so arrogantly, you will be gone quickly than you can blink. Exactly. That's an accountable <laughs> democracy, right? Like you saw, yeah. you saw, I think you've been following the political crisis we have been going through, which is, yes. we've changed, we changed prime ministers. We've had three prime ministers in the last uh, seven weeks and we've had four financial ministers, uh, chancellors in the last four months, right? You so, know, 
it's yeah, it's you're very responsive to the people. And I don't think it comes, it's not directly, it's not like political leadership decides to be responsive. It is demanded for by the people. Mm-hmm. So the people are actively participating in their democracy. So if you're just apathetic and again, you just go about your day, you just everybody's just minding their business. When things get dire, it didn't come out of nowhere. It's something yeah. led to it. So I don't, I am not, I am not, um, I'm, I'm not one to, to like, who like to throw blames or point fingers. I think if there's, a, if there's a problem, we need to find a solution. Uh, I think where it started from or how it came about is relevant to look at that to avoid those mistakes. But I don't think that's the most important thing right now. The most important thing right now is how do we get out of, how do we get out of this? And, and, and with that, for the other one, we need to hold our leaders accountable. Yeah, we, we need to, because I, I mean, what you said about the youth, the younger generation, you spoke about the people of the UK will hold you accountable. They'll be going for rallies, going for conferences, writing letters. Like, you know, when you say this person is an MP, this person is really an MP. They don't just speak for themselves. They have to do what their people want. Maybe because of the oldest, one of the oldest um, democracy. But we have to start somewhere because, I mean, um, politically, I know there are so many people, so many young people, so many, no, let me not use that term. But I know there are so many young people involved as there should be. Even if they are involved, how many of them are really involved in their... Um, and the issues that will cause change and not just on the ground and shouting, screaming, going to quote-unquote fight because they are young, so you guys should go and cause the trouble. Exactly. Go on radio and make noise. Go on radio, do all of that. Um, um, Let's just divert a bit. Um, In your experience, in your experience, students, politics, um, all of that, as young people in Ghana, West Africa, how do we also influence what is going on around us in terms of keeping our leaders accountable? What is done outside there that you think we can do here? I mean, I know that you can go and get a party card or you can go and get this. Give me other suggestions. And, and the first point, the first, the first uh, place is always to vote. And to vote for the right reasons. I think I think what a lot of advanced democracies have done is um, they've moved on quickly from voting on ethnic religious lines to actually voting on policy matters. I think Ghana is getting there. I, I don't think we are fully there yet. There are a lot of people who still vote for candidates just because they're from my tribe or they're, just, um, they're from my... They, they, they are from the same religion as me. That tends to... Like, look at the UK, for instance, right? <laughs> Majority white country, but the prime minister is Hindu. Uh, it's a, yes. And uh, it's a it's a it's actually a Christian country. I mean, that's not a good description because now they've moved on from that. But the reason I say that is it was a it was a British Empire that founded the Anglican Church, so mm-hmm. they have an they have an Archbishop and all that. But it, it's run by a Hindu, and he's of Indian heritage, and he's also forty two years old. He was born in nineteen eighty. He's Ooh. a millennial. Just think about that running running the world's sixth largest economy. So I saw a joke someone Twitter where they said. Uh, if he was in our country, he'd probably be 
youth organize or something, which, <laughs> which, which made me laugh. But to some extent, it's true. Or, so, or, or in a company, he'll be the, the unit head in a yeah. part of it. He'll be in charge of welfare or something. But it's unfortunate, it's unfortunate that, but you see, at least people are managing big economies, right? So uh, would young people participate in the democracy and run for office? They should, I think. Those who qualify and want to do it should. Young people who, uh, if you, it's not everyone who can run for office. It's not everyone who can be an MP. Not everyone who can be a prime minister. Not everyone who can be president. There are ways to also participate in democracy, i.e., to actually vote, to be self, a, a citizenry that's also self aware of things that are happening around them. How many of us know what's happening in parliament? How many of us know the size of our government? How many of us know who our various ministers and what they do on the daily? We don't assess these things, I think. Mm. Uh, I could be wrong. And so, like, being participating is not just, going to vote every four years. It means democracy runs every day, right? Four years is just the timeline we chose on when to go and vote. But it's happening every day around you, right? Voting in, uh, following, following up the assemblyman, the mayor, all those things. So I think being part of that helps. It keeps us self-aware. But again, for me, um, I'm not, the, again, I'm not a political scientist. I'm not an expert. There are people who are obviously more versed in these areas and uh, they will be better to serve to advice on how we can improve our democracy. I'm still learning myself. You know, um, Robert, I'm just thinking about, for example, my community. Say all of us come together and we say we want to see the more parliament or we want to see the assemblyman or the DCE or MDCE, if there's anything like that. Like, they would have to come. But how many people do that? Yeah, exactly. Apathetic. I have friends who don't vote. <laughs> I have friends yeah. who don't vote because they say uh, it doesn't matter. It matters. Yeah. It matters. So... Not choosing, choosing not to participate in a democracy, it, it, it's unfortunate. And this is how we get to situations like this, because these things are made through a democratically elected leadership. So it's the leadership we put in place. Uh, again, this, is, this has nothing to do with any particular political party. I don't, think, I don't think most Ghanaians care about that. I think most Ghanaians care about, they just want to live a normal life. I want my road to be fine. I want to have electricity. Bro, bro, I want bro. my children to feel safe. I just, I, that's all I care about. I don't care who brings it. I just want it there. So we'll get to that point. Should be a very interesting year here in Ghana because we sort of see two functions work and Oof. Let me keep maybe, my thoughts maybe to myself. Who knows? <laughs> Man, in, in Nigeria, in Nigeria, there's a, there's a phenomenon happening. It's a guy called Peter B. Yeah, so that's absolutely. interesting. Maybe who knows? People, and that's because people are just also looking for alternatives. But again, it, it doesn't really matter who achieves what. All you want is a stable country, a stable governance, and you want to see improvement. That's all. That's it. You leave people to make their own independent decisions. People can vote for whoever they want. That's true. I mean, everyone should vote for who they think is best fitted. But I think the, the voting should be based on um, policy and issues and less on um, things like ethnicity and religion. Uh, those things just cloud uh, actual judgment. That's good. That's very true. Robert, um, you said to us that, you said to the market woman, you said to the students that um, it's a global phenomenon, probably have to wait it out. Um, there's nothing can do to change what is going on around us in the hands of the central banks, um, governments, all of that. I mean, that that is that is really sad to hear. As individuals, we will not be able to hedge our risk. Um, but I know a lot of people listening, a lot of Ghanaians 
also doing one or two things you can to you know, keep their inflow and prevent their money from just running out. Charlie, everybody's a mathematician right now. Right now. It's mad. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying there, there are probably ways to do it, but uh, those will have to come from your independent investment advisor. They will understand your financial needs and advise you how best to go about it. Again, I think all I, all I can, all I, all you and I can do is to look at it on an aggregate macro level and say what is happening generally. But everybody has different financial needs. Some people have inflow coming in dollars. They are fine. Some people have influence cities. Some people have their salaries pegged to dollars. So everyone is different. So there's no one prescription for everyone. Um, some people are dealing are in professions or have their income, which is inflation protected. Everybody's very different. So I think everybody needs to, for your own personal financial, and you need to, you need to rely on an investment advisor who's qualified to, to give you that advice. Depend on investment advisor who's qualified enough to give you that advice. Guys, listen, we have heard from Robert Ahmad Amelda. Um, should I say resident financial enthusiast? A friend, a friend <laughs> of the podcast who, who really likes finance and economics. Yeah, that's that. Robert will soon start demanding a salary from us. We die here. <laughs> oh, no, no. None, none of that. We never do that. Friend of the podcast. We're just friends. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much, Robert. And guys, as he said, the disclaimers, Nothing he has said is meant to advise you in any way. Seek your own independent um, advisor. All the disclaimers he gave, please don't come and ask me, hey, where is he working? That he'll be giving this. But they are yeah, all my personal opinions. Yeah. Give us your socials because I know definitely so many people would want to, you know, probably DM you, text you. A good episode. How can they reach you? So I think my Instagram is usually what I use the most. It's at uh, K O M L A A underscore. So just Komla, because uh, Komla. So born on a Tuesday. Okay. So just Instagram. Yes, Instagram is where I usually talk uh, talk to. Talk to and, and, and and can people DM you? Of course. Why not? Most happy to make friends. Both all the genders available. We ah. have a particular gender. <laughs> Oh no, I'm fine. I'm ready to talk to anyone. <laughs> you do you do this every time we have a conversation. Every time. <laughs> you see, Robert and I go way back, way back, like 2012, 13. So Long it's understandable. Time. Anyway, Robert, we appreciate you so much on Kobe Talks podcast for coming on the second time. I think you are the only repeated guest. Um, it shows your value. Um, I, I read good. something I somewhere fine. that we don't have to be chasing money. We have to pay value. Because when you are valuable, you'll be sought after. And when you're sought after, money follows. So this probably may just be the beginning of your consultancy. Quote and quote. <laughs> one day, one day, we'll see on Sky News, BBC, CNN, World Economic <laughs> Forum. You'll be standing Shall next I. to some president, Shall Charlie. It is the beginning. We are young. We are smart. We are connecting. I love this. I love this. Thanks a lot. Ten years from now, somebody will quote something from this episode that Robert Amadamada said that we are voting for people to make futures for us where they themselves will not be in. Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) You always do this, man. But thank you so much. Thank you too. Any last words? 
Oh, nothing. I think I think uh, the key thing I'll highlight again is uh, the last bit I said, which is to pay attention to our um, our uh, average age and median age, mm-hmm. and um, and then recognize that it's important to be participating in our democracy. It's not just every four years. I think that's a key point. I've said this the first time I was here. I said the same thing. I'm saying it again. And then people act surprised when something goes wrong in a few years from now, but, but they're not following what's happening on the day to day. I think. I think it's essential that we pay attention to these things. It's essential to pay and participate in a democracy. Exactly. I'm going to put that in a quote for you. Hi, <laughs> right, Mike. Thanks. Thank I you so to, much, I Robert. To, Charlie, stay safe. And before we go, guys, um, as I always tell you, Aria Bedin on Instagram, E-R-Y-A-B-E-B-B-I-N-G. You've got the best pillows, pillowcases, best sheets, any kind of bedding products you need in our whole Ghana, just DM us at Kobe Talks Podcast or DM us on at Area Bedding. Let's talk. And once again, if you love this episode, if you have any question for Robert or any of our guests, DM us on our Instagram at K-O-B-B-Y-T-A-L-K-S. As usual, we would always love to respond to you. I will not talk about our Go Get Funny here, but before the episode plays, there will be a bit of an intro about that, guys. So thank you so much, Robert. Charlie, we'll talk behind the scenes. Me, I'm coming, I'm coming for advice. So we'll talk behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good, Charlie. We'll talk. Have a good day. All right, thank you. Bye, Bye guys.